Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Common Room Talk. My name's Tony, and I'm your host. Now, I owe everyone an apology due to me having poor time management skills. I did not have an episode last week. It seems like everything that I was planning on doing for Friday ended up just blowing up in my face. I was extremely busy with work and then had a bunch of other things to do as well. It seems as if work for me is going to be very busy going forward. And so trying to find the proper times to try and record is going to be a little bit more difficult, but I am definitely going to try and figure this out. The good thing is, is we don't have very much left in the first book, so that shouldn't be too bad. I'm still trying to figure out exactly when I'm going to be starting the second book. I'm definitely going to be starting it. I'm just not sure when. And I need to decide if I'm going to continue doing it in this manner. If going through it in more of like a commentary narration kind of way is how I want to do it. If I want to do it more as like going through the chapter and having different talking points specifically instead of going so chronologically through the story. I don't know yet. What are your thoughts? send me an email, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. If you enjoy the way that I'm going through the story, let me know, and I definitely won't change anything. But if there's something that you would rather see or something that I could change or if there is a different way you would enjoy me going through this, whether it's with another person or if it's going just over different talking points, do you want to see more conversational things happening? I do have a few projects planned that I want to try that do involve conversation with somebody. And if I'm able to do that, I'm going to for sure. And I know that I definitely want to go through a chapter at least with another person and and get their thoughts on everything. And I also want to go through an episode where I'm talking with somebody who might not be the biggest fan of Harry Potter and kind of gauge the reasons why. Now, I know it's 100% opinions, but sometimes, and even in our opinions, there are times in which there's an actual factual reason for why we don't like something, whether that be something from a movie or a book reminds us of something that we didn't like growing up or or something like that. And so I would like to know why people have reasons for not liking Harry Potter. And that doesn't mean they're wrong. Like you can dislike Harry Potter and that's totally okay. And I'm not here to put anybody down for it or to think that they are wrong or stupid or anything like that because they're not they're entitled to their opinion and I'm sure they probably enjoy something that we don't enjoy and they probably hopefully wouldn't make us feel bad for for not liking it or enjoying it either and so that's what I really would like to do in the future just a few different tasks or projects like that like I said, we are coming to the end of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and even though we're coming to the end of it, once I finish all the chapters, I think I might do an episode or two where I take the opportunity to just talk about the book in general, um, maybe spend some more time talking about what it means to me, and if we get any other listener emails, what it is meant to them. And so that's another talking point that if you want to share a story about what Harry Potter, specifically the Sorcerer's Stone, has meant for you or to you, please let me know. Reach out to me. Again, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. I would love to share some of your stories live on an episode. That brings me to my next point, which is Cheyenne and I are less than three weeks away 
from three weeks, three months away from our cruise. Oh man, I wish it was three weeks. If it was three weeks away, that would be so amazing. No, we are three months away from our cruise where we are going to Jamaica and Haiti, and I cannot wait. I can't wait to be on the ocean. I can't wait to try my hand at some more Harry Potter trivia as long as Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines have some Harry Potter trivia. And that's what I wanted to bring up is I know I've talked about it before, but it is really cool to see how Harry Potter is just so intertwined into so many different things. And you wouldn't think, and I'm pretty sure I just messed up saying so many different things, but you wouldn't think that cruising and Harry Potter would ever come together in that way. And yet it has, that there is Harry Potter trivia on cruise ships and I cannot wait to try my hand at some more Harry Potter trivia and see if there are people who do know more than me. There were people on our last cruise that I would say knew just as much as me, if not maybe a little less. I'm not the end-all be-all expert on Harry Potter by any means, but I have spent a good amount of time in the books and talking to family and friends about it and just, I don't know, picking apart small little details about the story whether it's in the book or the movie forms of the story but yeah i'm pretty excited for the cruise and to test my hand at some more knowledge that way to see if i could walk away with whatever prize they have for whoever would win that trivia and that is something that i would definitely recommend if you've never been on a cruise and you enjoy vacationing cruising is by far the best way to do that. It is the best vacation I have ever had, and I can't recommend it enough. Now, last episode, we left off with Harry crossing this chamber, reaching the door untouched, but he was expecting to feel like sharp beaks or claws or something tearing at him, and it didn't happen. And in fact, all of last episode, we had journeyed through the trap door, went through the devil's snare, and have now made it to this room. And they're still trying to figure out exactly what is going on. So Harry's at the door, and he's tugging on the handle. Ron and Hermione had followed up to them, and the door itself wasn't budging. Hermione tries her Alohomora charm, the unlocking spell that she uses on the door to get up to the third floor corridor itself. And nothing happens. So Ron turns around and says, now what? These birds, they can't just be here for decoration, which was what Hermione had said in regards to what Ron said. And they were watching them, these birds, that at least that's what they thought, overhead glittering. And then Harry has this thought glittering. He says, no, wait, they're not birds. They're keys. They're winged keys. Look carefully so that must mean and he then looks around at the chamber while the other two are squinting up at the the keys yes look broomsticks we've got to catch the key to the door and so ron then says but there are hundreds of them and harry then replies with well we're looking for a big old-fashioned one probably silver like the handle now, this is where we do see a difference from the book to the movie that is pretty significant here, I think, just specifically for this scene, which is all three of them here in the book head over, grab a broomstick, and take off into the air to look for the key that they need. Now, the verbiage here is still pretty much the same, and what Ron says in the movie is, you're the youngest seeker in a century, 
all of that fun stuff. But here in the book, it says that too, not for nothing though, was Harry the youngest seeker in a century. He had a knack for spotting things other people didn't. And so also in the movie, it's only Harry who hops on the broom and takes off and goes after the key himself. But here, all three of them are up in the air looking for the key. And it is Harry who then looks to see and actually spots the key while they're all three up in the air. And he calls out that one. And when he's looking at it, it's bent. And he can tell that it's already been roughly stuffed into a keyhole. Here in the book, you see Harry start to divvy out orders on how they're going to try and actually catch the key. You see that they actually have to use some teamwork. Harry's telling Ron to come in from one direction, Hermione to come in from another, and then he'll come in and try to catch it from the top. And so he yells out now, and they all move. Ron dives, Hermione goes upwards, and Harry streaks on after it. And it sped towards a wall. Harry leaned forward, and then with a nasty crunching noise, pinned it against the stone with one hand. And at last, they caught it. Ron and Hermione's cheers echo around the chamber. All three of them land. Harry sticks the key into the door. They unlock it, and then he lets the key go. It looks much more battered now that it had been caught twice. And I remember this scene so clearly, even the very first time in theater seeing it, because I remember outside of the devil's snare and maybe Fluffy's barking, it wasn't very loud in these few scenes. But then you got to this point where Harry catches the key. And as soon as he touches the key in the movie, all of the keys start fluttering around and like trying to attack him, kind of almost exactly what he expected to feel as he was running towards the door in the very beginning part of this scene itself and that doesn't happen here in the book as soon as he grabs the key the other keys it doesn't say do anything and so he's able to land with the other two and and put it into the door without there being any issues whatsoever but in the movie he grabs the key all the other keys start swarming him and and it looks like to the best of their ability hurting him in any way that they possibly can and you see him trying to swat them away as he's still flying in and out of the rafters of this room and he lands in front of the door to to get it open or no sorry as he is flying down he throws the key hermione jumps up grabs it unlocks the door they run through harry flies through they slam the door and then this is the really loud part all of the keys hitting the door it's so loud and i remember it being just ridiculously loud in the theaters and it's also one of those points in the movie where you turn it up a little bit because you're trying to hear what they say and then you hear one of you get to this point and you have to turn it back down because it's so loud and then it abruptly cuts off into just being dead silent again afterwards but yeah a lot of differences in that scene between the book and the movie so here, back in the book, they step into the next chamber, and at first it's so dark that they can't see anything, but as soon as they step inside, everything suddenly became illuminated as light flooded the room to reveal an astonishing sight. And it says that they were standing on the edge of a huge chessboard. Now, in the movie, it took them a second to understand. It was Ron who pointed out where they were, that they were standing on a giant chessboard. Here, it's established right away that that's what they're looking at. So they're standing there on this giant chessboard. They're looking at these giant faceless chess pieces that looks like they were carved out of stone. And they were much taller than what they were. So we can get the perspective that these were big, giant chess pieces. And they're standing in front of it on this massive chessboard itself. 
and just as we see in the movies, they are large. I wouldn't say probably to the extent that they are here in the book. And when I say extent, I mean they're probably much larger in the movies than what they were here in the book. And in the movies, we do have the more elaborate stone carvings to what we see on the chessmen. And they do have faces, and it does look like a proper chess set. But here it says that they had no faces, and that probably was much more intimidating or frightening than just being big, tall stone chess pieces in themselves. Now, in the movies, we see Ron stepping onto the chessboard with Harry and Hermione. And Harry and Hermione are confused about what it is, trying to put it together. And Ron is slowly walking around and comes to the conclusion first that it's a chessboard. And as they start walking across the room, they go towards the door that's on the other side of the chamber. And two of the chess pieces cross their weapons and stops them from being able to go across. Here in the book, Ron walks up to one of the pieces and asks them if they have to play their way across the board, and it nods at him. And so you see maybe a little bit more intelligence from these chess pieces or maybe a little bit more extensive magic being used on them to make them a little more perceptive to what is going on around them versus what we see in the movies. Now, we do know what happens in the movies. He starts commanding the pieces, and they do move in regards to his speech and directing them, that also happens here. And so here they decide that they do need to play across the board and that they need to take the place of a few different chess pieces. And so they do. Ron starts off by saying, now don't be offended or anything, but neither of you are good at chess. Harry quickly says, we're not offended. Just tell us what to do. Ron tells Harry to take the place of the bishop and Hermione to go there instead of the castle. And she asks, well, what about you? And he says, I'm going to be a knight, which in the movie we see him, I don't want to say pompously, but maybe proudly and bravely. He wipes his nose. As for me, I'll be a knight. And it's one of the cool Ron moments in the first film. I really enjoy that. Uh, this is re really where you get to see Ron shine. So we see Ron basically direct where Harry and Hermione need to go, and it seems as if the chess pieces were listening because as soon as they decided where they were going, those chess pieces moved out of the way, walked off the board, leaving the three empty squares for Harry, Ron, and Hermione to take. Ron says, White always plays first, and then, yes, look. So it looks as if they are on the black team for all of their black chess pieces are around them, and they're looking over at the white team, and a white pawn had moved forward two squares. And then, so Ron started directing the black pieces, and they were just moving around silently. As they're moving around silently around them, you kind of see a little bit of the emotion of what's going on. It says that Harry's knees are trembling. What if they had lost? And so there's real emotion going on here. They Remember, these are kids. We're talking about 11-year-old kids who are eyeball deep in magic that they've, outside of Hermione, never even heard of. And so, uh, of course, they're terrified. You have these massive, giant stone chess pieces that are moving around on their own around you. And it says that the real first shock came when their other knight was taken and 
the white queen smashed him to the floor and dragged him off the board where he lay quietly still face down. Ron said, we had to let it happen. It leaves you free to take the bishop, Hermione. Go on. And it doesn't say exactly what happens then when Hermione takes that bishop. But I'm guessing that it might have, as similarly to when they were listening to Ron kind of give directions earlier, it might have just walked off the board when she took it. Because there's no way she could physically do anything to it. And she definitely doesn't know enough magic yet to try and like move it or destroy it by any means. So I'm guessing it probably just walked away. Now, on the left-hand page here, we have a full-page painting that is done with three huge, large chess pieces, and it's all the black team. And something that I I was confused at first about, but maybe I, I could be wrong, there's either a continuity error between Jim K and the book, or there is only the white pieces that don't have faces, because here in this painting are the three black chess pieces and they very clearly have faces and defined teeth and eyes and noses one of them actually has a huge beard and wonderful mustache going on with it but they're all black pieces but on the previous page it very specifically says the towering white chessmen had no faces. So maybe it was only the white, the opposing side that didn't have a face, maybe to make them more intimidating or or what have you. I don't know. But in this painting, there are three chessmen that definitely have faces. It looks like they're wearing some kind of armor as well. It's very intricate, chiseled stone to look like these old warriors, maybe even a wizard and it looks like they're wearing some sort of armor. They're, they have some of them have a sword and shield. They're all well wearing helmets, except for the one with the beard that it says looks more like a wizard. But those are all black, and you can kind of see the chess board, poured chess board as in a board not being poured out. A chess board in the background and. In between the chessmen here and there, like in the top left, you see Ron's head with his fiery red hair kind of poking out. On the far right, you see Hermione with this maybe scared, skeptical kind of look in her bushy hair just coming down to the top of her shoulders, peeking out over the chess piece that looks like a wizard. And then you have Harry in the front left. His head is the biggest besides the chess man next to him. And you have that crazy black mane of hair. His glasses, which, mind you, are still broken in the center because that Reparo spell that we saw in the movies doesn't actually happen here in the books. And what I'm speaking of, of course, is in the beginning on the train ride to Hogwarts when we first meet Hermione Granger in the movies, she is kind of making fun of Ron because he tries that spell that doesn't work on scabbers. And she says, I've only tried a few simple ones myself, for example, Oculus Reparo, and then repairs Harry's glasses. That is only in the movies. That's not here in the book. So here in this photo, I think this is a great attention to detail. You still have Harry with his broken glasses in the center held together by some sort of tape. And he has this look of awe and maybe shock on his face. His mouth is kind of hanging open. And the only light 
is across his eyes, almost like a Morticia Adams kind of scene where if you see her in the Adams family movies, whenever they have views of her, it's only like a band of crossed her eyes that are lit up and everything else is kind of in shadows. That's almost what it looks like with Harry here in this painting, really dark painting. There's, it's really cool to see the chess pieces definitely have cuts and scrapes and chunks of stone missing from them where you can see they've probably been played with before uh, time, maybe a few different times. They're cracked, they're jagged, but they're still in there. They're still playing. And it, it is a really cool painting to see. So they're playing their way across the board. We see that the white pieces were not taking any mercy on the black pieces. Every time one of their players were took, they were destroyed. They were drug off the board and, and just thrown to the side. There were a few times that Harry and Hermione were in danger, and Ron had only just noticed and was able to move himself around the board, almost taking as many pieces as they had lost pieces. Just Ron himself. like He is a magnificent chess player, according here to the books. Amazingly good at chess. And... He's saying to himself, we're nearly there. Let me think. Let me think. He's trying to figure out exactly what to do. The white queen had turned to face her blank face towards them. And Ron says, okay, this is it. It's the only way. I've got to be taken. And Harry and Hermione immediately know what's going on. And they shout, no. And then Ron says, that's chess. You've got to make some sacrifices. I'll make my move and she'll take me. And that leaves you free to checkmate the king, Harry. And Harry says, but... And then Ron interrupts him, but do you want to stop Snape or not? And somebody says, Ron, and he then says, look, if you don't hurry up, he'll already have the stone. And so there was nothing else for it. Ron says, ready? Here I go. Now don't hang around once you have won. And so he steps forward and the queen pounces on him. She strikes Ron hard on the head with her stone arm, and he crashes to the floor. Hermione screamed but stayed on the square. Now, remember, in the movie, she goes to take a step forward towards Ron, and Harry has to stop her and says, no, we're still playing. And I think that's really crucial. Even though it says here in the movie she stayed put, understanding that if she had moved, it would have taken Harry's chance then to actually checkmate the king. And... We have no idea what would have happened if she had moved improperly. I would assume that she probably didn't know the ins and outs of chess, and she might not have known in which direction she could have moved. Because remember, chess pieces can only move in specific directions, a specific number of spaces kind of thing. And what would have happened if she had moved incorrectly? Would it have been considered cheating? Would she have been thrown off the board? There's any number of things that could have happened in light of that. But what's really cool is that she stays put, and Harry is then free to move ahead three spaces to his left and takes the king. The, the king takes off his crown, and he throws it at Harry's feet. They won the game. And so with that, they do the most sensible thing, which is look at Ron one last time and then charge through the door on the other side of the passageway which is, again, very different from the movies. And there's a reason why. is because we're about to get an entire scene here in the books that is not in the movies. So in the movies, they both run over to Ron, and you get that very sentimental speech, which kind of sort of happens here in the next little bit, where Hermione is like, you're a great wizard, Harry, which is really weird because he hasn't really done any magic in front of Hermione as far as we could tell throughout the story. He hasn't done anything to show that he's a great wizard. It would have been different if... 
she had said, you're a great person or a great friend or I, I don't know anything else other than wizard because he hasn't done anything to portray himself as a wizard yet. And so it's kind of a weird thing to say there. And she encourages him to, to go on to, to get the stone and he goes through the passageway wall. She stays with Ron and, and Harry, I, I, if I remember correctly, urges her to send an owl to Dumbledore kind of thing. And so what we're about to go through is different than the movies. So they make their way through the passageway. Hermione says, what if he's Harry replies with he'll be all right. What do you reckon's next? Hermione says, well, we've had sprouts. That was the devil snare. Flitwick's must have been the charm on the keys. McGonagall transfigured the chessmen to make them alive. That leaves Quarrel Spell and Snapes. So they make it to the next door. They push it open, and then there's a smell, a disgusting, putrid smell that fills their nostrils. It's contaminated the air around them. They take their robes. They pull it up over their noses, and with their eyes watering, they saw that something was laying flat on the floor in front of them. It was a troll, even larger than the one that they had tackled, and it was knocked out cold with a bloody lump on its head. So they enter a room. There's a massive troll there, already knocked out. Harry says, I'm glad we don't have to fight that one. And they kind of just slowly step around one of its massive legs. And one of them says, come on, I can't breathe. And so they go into the next door, and both of them hardly daring to look at what came next. But there was nothing very frightening in this next room. Now, the troll room itself, completely not in the movies. That is entirely books only. Not even a hint of that kind of spell. or not, Well, that wasn't really a spell. That was more of just an encounter. And so... They didn't have to deal with the troll whatsoever. If you're a movie-only person, that is all brand new to you, and so is this next part as well. As I said, in this room, there wasn't anything frightening at all. There was just a table with seven differently shaped bottles that were standing in a line. So there, there's seven bottles, all different shapes, in a row, one single file line across the table. And Harry says, this must be Snape's. What do we have to do? And so as soon as they step over the threshold of the door, a fire sprang up immediately behind them in the doorway. And it wasn't a normal fire. It was purple, and it filled the entire doorway. And then on the other side, black flames shot up in the doorway leading onwards. So they're trapped now in this room. And Hermione says, look, and she, she grabs this roll of paper that was lying next to the bottles, and she starts reading it. Harry is looking over her shoulder to read it. And this is what it says. Danger lies before you, while safety lies behind you. Two of us will help you, whichever you would find. One among us seven will let you move ahead. Another will transport the drinker back instead. Two among our number hold only nettle wine. Three of us are killers waiting hidden in line. Choose, unless you wish to stay here forevermore. To help you in your choice, we give you these clues for. First, however slyly the poison tries to hide, you will always find some on nettle wine's left side. Second, different are those who stand at either end. But if you would move onwards, neither is your friend. Third, as you clearly see, 
All are different size. Neither dwarf nor giant holds death in their insides. Fourth, the second left and the second on the right are twins once you taste them, though different at first sight. So Harry and Hermione have this very intense riddle, which is very much like Einstein's riddle, which if you've never heard it, I'm not entirely sure if it's actually from Albert Einstein or not, but it's along the the lines of having five houses that are different colors. And in each house, there is a different person with a different nationality. And the five owners drink a certain type of beverage and smoke a certain brand of cigar and have a certain pet. And there are no owners of the same pet. And None of them smoke the same brand of cigar or drink the same beverage. And so you have to figure out who owns the fish. And then you have a whole list of different hints, whether it's about a Brit who lives in a red house or a Dane who drinks tea or the German who smokes Prince kind of thing. And it's a really tough riddle to actually work through. And it's cool to see that incorporated in here. Now, the Einstein riddle has been around for a very long time. And so seeing that incorporated somewhat into this is really cool to see. But in light of reading all of this, Hermione lets out a great sigh and Harry is amazed. He's looking at her and she's smiling and it was the very last thing that he felt like doing. She says, brilliant, this isn't magic, it's logic, it's a puzzle. A lot of the greatest wizards haven't even got an ounce of logic. They'd be stuck in here forever. And Harry says, but so will we, won't we? And it's kind of like a slap in the face, honestly, to Hermione, even though you don't really see that reaction. She says, of course not. Everything we need is here on this paper. Seven bottles, three are poison, two are wine, one will get us safely through the black fire, and one will get us back through the purple. But how do we know which one to drink? Hermione says, give me a minute. So... She reads through the paper several times. She walks up and down the line of the bottles, and she's muttering to herself, and she's pointing at them. And finally, she claps her hands together. She said, got it. The smallest bottle would get us through the black fire towards the stone. Harry looked at that tiny little bottle, and there's only really enough in there for one of us, he said. That's hardly one swallow. They look at each other. So which one will get you back through the purple flames? And Hermione points then at the rounded bottle at the right end of the line. Harry says, well, you drink that. No, listen, get back to Ron. Grab the brooms from the flying key room. They'll get you out of the trapdoor and past Fluffy. Go straight to the owlery. Again, I cannot say that word. Owlery, owl. You have to put the W in there, and I can't do it. It's so frustrating. But they they head to the place where the owls are hanging out, up in the tower, (laughs) and send Hedwig to Dumbledore. We need him. I might be able to hold Snape off for a while, but I'm no match for him, really. Of course you're no match for him. You're an 11-year-old kid. What could you do to Snape? It (laughs) makes no sense. I have no idea what he would be able to do to Snape here in this moment. And then Hermione cuts in, but Harry, what if you know who's with him? And Harry says, well, I was lucky once, wasn't I? I might get lucky again. And so Hermione's sitting there. She's scared. Her lips are trembling, and she suddenly dashes at Harry, and she throws her arms around him. And he says, Hermione. And 
she says, Harry, you're a great wizard, you know. How how do you know? How how does he know? We haven't seen any magic from him. And of course, we, he's went through the year learning magic and doing all of the different tasks. And of course, she probably has a much better perspective than the reader does here. But it's like, how do you know he's a great wizard? The only great wizard that they've really seen is Dumbledore. And I doubt that they have actually seen him do any kind of spectacular magic yet. And so well, I would say McGonagall is also a great wizard, but in comparison, how can you say Harry is a great wizard? It, it just, I don't know why that frustrates me so much. It just does. But Harry says, I'm not as good as you. And he was embarrassed, but she let go of him. And she says, me, books and cleverness, which is what we see in the movie. There are more important things, friendship and bravery. And oh, Harry, be careful. And so Harry says, oh, here, you drink first. You are sure which is which, aren't you? And Hermione says, positive. She takes a long drink from the round bottle at the end and shuddered. And Harry says, it's not poison? She says, no, but it's like ice. And so Harry says, go quickly before it wears off. She says, good luck, take care. And Harry says, go. And so she turns and she walks straight through the purple fire. Harry then takes the little vial that he had to drink takes a deep breath, and he turns to face the black flames. And he says out loud to no one in particular, here I come, and he drank the little bottle in one gulp. And it was indeed as though ice was flooding through his body. He puts the bottle down, and he starts walking forward. He braces himself, and he saw the black flames there licking his body, but he couldn't actually feel them so he's walking through the fire but can't actually feel them and for a moment he couldn't see anything but the black the dark fire and then he was on the other side in the last chamber and there was already somebody in there but it wasn't snape and it wasn't even voldemort that's the end of that chapter and that is one of the best cliffhangers in any series whatsoever, because if this is your first time going through this story, going through this series, I know for me, I was like, what? Like, who is in here then? Who who has been doing all of this? And if you've been paying attention carefully and this is your first time coming through, you know who. But that doesn't make it any less crazy. It, it was insane going through this book for the first time. That cliffhanger was the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers. In fact, it was a cliff hanging off of a cliff. That kind of cliffhanger. It, it was just ridiculous. And of course, you couldn't stop reading. You had to go in and, and read the next chapter because it's crazy. And And you even look at the next chapter, The Man with Two Faces, and you're like, I have to read this. And the answer to who is in the chamber is the very first sentence of the next chapter, and that is something that we will get into next episode. And I know that is a hard place to leave, and that's not the end of the episode yet. That's just the end of the chapter. And so you might be asking yourself then, who is in the other room? Is it Draco Malfoy? He seems like a, an evil enough bloke to want to go in and do something like this, so Maybe it's him. Who could it be? Is it one of the teachers? Is it somebody else outside of the school? Like, have we come in contact with anybody else? Is this maybe the dude who gave Hagrid the dragon egg or or what? Like, we don't know yet who this is, but there are a lot of clues 
to figuring it out. There, there have been some times throughout this story where we have got to see small snippets of who this could be. And I know that we are coming up to the end of this book. We only have maybe one or two more episodes left, and we'll be finished with this book itself. And like I said, I want to do a few more episodes even after this book that pertain to this book and talking specifically about this first story. There is a lot that is different from the book to the movie, and that's going to be extremely prevalent when we get into the longer books. I know I've said this a few different times now, but I can't stress that enough. When we get into Goblet of Fire and beyond, and you get these 800, 900, and even 1,000-page books that were turned into one two-and-a-half, three-hour movie, and then one that was turned into two separate movies, there's so much that is different and changed from the books to the movies. And obviously, we understand it has to be. They have to be changed in order to compensate for the fact that you can't have a really long movie in that sense, which, I mean, Titanic did four hours. I don't understand why we couldn't do four hours for Goblet of Fire. I honestly think that the best alternative would be to come up with a series, a TV series like on Netflix or Hulu or something like that where you can dedicate an hour to a chapter or a chapter and a half. Not every chapter in a book needs to be an entire hour long worth of stuff being told out of it. Um, That was a really bad way of saying that. For some reason, my brain stopped working as I tried to figure out what I wanted to say. There is a better way of doing it than movies, I think. And do I want to see them all recast? No. But would I love to see like Rupert Grint, Emma Watson, and Daniel Radcliffe step into new roles? I think Harry as a Dumbledore, even though he still has a, a long way to go, would be an amazing thing to see. Or even him stepping up to be serious, maybe, would be really cool to see them in just different roles. I think that even Rupert Grint could step into being an Arthur Weasley now. He's he's definitely that age and a father in real life, and so he could probably start portraying that really well. And it would be cool to see them step into a different role like that. But to have the Harry Potter stories being told again, but this time in season formats where you can really get a lot more of those details in. I think we are definitely in a place where we could do that easily and people would eat it up. That's the thing that you can really tell that um, J.K. Rowling isn't really in it for the money at all, I would think, because there's so much that she could put out and she would make so much money for it. There, Harry Potter fans eat up anything Harry Potter. And if they came out with a new Harry Potter series, it would get literally just eaten up. Everyone would want it. And I don't blame them because I would want it as well. And I really wish that they would do more. And I keep saying and in there a lot. Disregard all of my ands and make that one entirely one long run-on sentence, which with all those ands, it was a long run-on sentence anyways. And you're just going to have to deal with it. Anyways, I would love to get your guys' input. If you guys have questions, comments, if I've misspoke on anything, which is very likely because I am nowhere near perfect or an expert in any of this, I've just spent a lot of time in it, please email me, 
commonroomtalk at gmail.com. I would love to get your take on everything, to answer questions, to have a conversation. If you want an opportunity to maybe even come on the show and have a conversation with me live, that would be wonderful. Let me know. Reach out to me, commonroomtalk at gmail.com. I definitely want your guys' interaction. If you're listening and you are enjoying it, please tell your friends about it. Share it on social media. It doesn't take much to hit that share button and, and put it to your Facebook, Instagrams, whatever. I'm doing my best to keep up with it. I'm so bad at social media. I tried to remove myself personally from social media. I can't even say social. Wow, I am struggling. I can't even say social media. Ugh, that is so frustrating. My mouth does not want to work properly since COVID. Everything from my brain to my mouth has just been... It doesn't make any sense. But I personally don't have like Instagram and stuff myself. I have it for common room talk and I'm just so bad at using it. And so please have patience with me. Uh, bear with me as I'm still trying to get through it. It might be something that I might just ask my wife to do because she's so good with social media and I am not. But if you guys have it, please share the show on it. Uh, talk about it with your friends. Help me get the word out. We have been listened to in a lot of different countries all over the world. And again, to whoever is in Romania and listening to this, Thank you. you. You're a trooper getting through all of these episodes and listening to me talk about Harry Potter. If I had to listen to myself talk about Harry Potter, I would go insane. But whoever you are in Romania, and the reason I call them out specifically is because they've listened to every episode that I think probably multiple times because it shows in the same area unless he's told us or she or they have told their friends about Harry Potter in this podcast Um they've downloaded it themselves multiple times to listen to it so thank you and thank you guys again so much for listening please like it share it talk about it i can't thank you guys enough for listening and so with that my name's tony i'm your host and this is common room talk <laughs>